The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, and before him will be gathered all the nations of the earth, and he will divide people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And he will say to those on his right, come, O blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and give you food or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king shall answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. To those on his left, he will say, depart from me, you cursed, into the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And again they will say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not minister to you? And he will answer them, as you did not do it for one of the least of these. You did not do it to me. And these will go off to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let's pray. Father, we believe that you inspired Matthew to record these words of Jesus. And we believe they not only had power in Matthew's day, but they have power today if we will hear them. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, open these words to us, perhaps as never before, that we would be changed more and more to be like Christ the King. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. On this Christ the King Sunday, as we celebrate the transition from ordinary time into Advent, which is now a waiting season, a season that begins next Sunday, as we not only wait for Christmas and the celebration of the first Advent, the first coming of our Lord, but we also in the Advent season wait for the second Advent. We wait for the return of the King. And here in Jesus' last teaching, we get this pretty terrifying, sobering picture of that final judgment day when he returns. And when I read this text, I really want to live like a sheep. It was a terrible morning. The day before, I had been defrocked by my heretical bishop for standing up for the gospel. I had been rejected by my wardens and vestry. I've been locked out of my church 
and had been given three weeks to vacate the church house that Monica and I and the girls were living in. It was early morning the next day, and I sat with my head in my hands, bowing under the weight of what just had happened the day before. And there was a knock at the door, and I will never forget the magnitude of what happened next. What happened next? You'll have to wait to the end of the sermon to find out. I want to live more like a sheep. I want to be a sheep, according to this parable, and I want to live like a sheep. This is a scary story. Verse 31 of our text in Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in glory and all his angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. This is the final judgment throne of God. This is the moment that all of human history has been moving towards, the day of judgment. But verse 32 then tells us that this day of judgment is a day of separation, and he will separate, as these nations are before him, he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. We don't like the idea of a judgment day where there is going to be a separation, a decision day. Our world of moral relativism tells us, oh no, if there's going to be any kind of final moment in human history, it'll just be God patting us all on the head saying, it's fine, whatever, meh. That's what our society's waiting for. And yet Jesus gives us this scary picture of the end. A number of years ago, I bought a new iPad and I was using it for my preaching notes. And as I was writing my sermon one Sunday, I was writing the word hell into my sermon. But my iPad kept auto-correcting it from H-E-L-L to H-E apostrophe L-L. Clearly my iPad said, no, that's not a real word. My iPad didn't know the word hell. It was a picture of where society is going. We don't want judgment. We don't want to believe there's any kind of separation. We don't want to believe that there's any moment coming when it will finally matter the decisions we made. Dale Bruner, I quoted this last week, says, Jesus loves human beings and he wants to save us from messed up lives and messed up eternities and that's why he tells his scary stories. He wants us to wake up. You see, this picture we're given here in Matthew 25 of this final judgment, the single basis of the separation, the only basis is one question. Are you a sheep or are you a goat? That's the separation. That's the single. It's not socioeconomic. It's not based on whose list is bigger than the next. It's just are you a sheep or are you a goat? In Israel... This often happened. You'd have shepherds out with their flocks and there'd be sheep and goats mixing together. And the difficulty is if you'd imagine wet, dirty, muddy, wild sheep and goats are actually quite hard to distinguish one from another. They look very similar when they're all gross and wet. These are not the petting zoo versions that are cleaned up that we often see. The only distinguishing marker for a shepherd 
when he's looking over this big array of sheep and goats mixed together, is that for some, the, the tail sticks up, goats, and for the others, the tail hangs down, sheep. I'm not going to go any further with that metaphor, but the point is there's one distinguishing marker, and by that means they'll separate sheep from goats. Let's identify sheep and goats. Now, for Jesus, because it is a metaphor, he's talking about people. How do we distinguish on that last day between those people who are sheep and those people who are goats? Well, there's one distinguishing marker. It's not the tail. In this case, it's verse 40 and verse 45. The king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, which is inclusive, by the way, brethren is a good way to go because it's brothers and sisters. As you did to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. The least of these. Verse 45, alternatively, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. The only distinguishing mark as we look over people on the last day will be trying to look for their tails, which is a sheep, which is a goat, is how they have treated the least of these. The distinguishing mark on the last day between sheep and goats is to see how we have treated the least of these. What are the least of these? Well, the least of these, we're told in verse 35 and 36, are the hungry, the thirsty, the strangers, the naked, the sick, and those in prison. Now, it's not meant to be an exhaustive list. Here's what Jesus is really saying. The least of these, by definition, are those who are at the bottom, those who are in a rough spot, those who are beneath you, those who have therefore nothing to offer you in return. That's the least of these, the downtrodden, the beaten up, the losers. And verse 40 says of these least of these, which should give us sober judgment, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. He identifies himself with the least of these in such a way that as we treat the least of these, so it will be that we are in fact treating Christ. We are serving not truly just the least of these, we're serving Christ. Well, if I was worried about being a sheep, now I'm really worried that maybe whether I'm a sheep or not, am I living like a sheep? I mean, I do not consistently live like this if this is the distinguishing marker. Well, there's good news. There's really good news for us in this scary story. What the good news is, is this. That living like a sheep, first of all, is inherited. This is not a story of how you can earn your way into sheephood, okay? This is not something you can make happen in your life. This is an inheritance, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But not only is living like a sheep inherited, but it's also immediate in the sense that it's right around us. It's not a long way off. It's not difficult. It's not rocket science. It's right in front of you and me right now. It's inherited. It's immediate. And finally, living like a sheep is imitation. It's learning to live in imitation to the way we have been treated by God. So first of all, living like sheep is inherited. 
You cannot make yourself a sheep. And we see that in verse 34. Look with me, verse 34. He says, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit, inherit. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The language of inheritance here means it's not something you earned. A salary is something you earn because of what you do. An inheritance is something that you have because of who you are. By the nature of your birthright or by the nature of your adopted status in a family, that's where the inheritance comes from, which means that this whole discussion about sheep is not a discussion of us earning our way into God's graces. It is not about us doing enough that God would say, well, your list is long enough. Clearly, you're now a sheep. No. Sheep are made sheep by God alone. God makes us into sheep. You see, verse 37 and verse 46, twice in this passage, the sheep, the ones on the right hand, are referred to as the righteous. And it's, it's really specific biblical language, the righteous. Because righteousness in Scripture is, is not just a sense of being good or you know, doing good things. Righteousness is about a relationship. The word righteous is relationship language. It means that you're in right standing with God. You're in a right relationship with God. That you are doing the right things before God. That you're rightly related to God. And so when Jesus calls these sheep the righteous, that needs to be a code word for us to say, well, if they're the righteous, there's only one way that the Bible tells us we become righteous. Because it's a gift of Jesus' righteousness to us. What does Jesus, what does Paul tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians 5, 17? Speaking of this new nature that God does in us, that he takes an ordinary broken human being and makes a new thing in us, makes us into sheep. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, whoever's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone the new has come. God has done in Christ a work in our lives to bring about a new nature, sheep. That's what you are. And then he says in verse 21, he says, God made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf that we might become the, here's the money word, the righteousness of God. That God has placed on Jesus all of our failures, all of our inability to live a righteous life on him, and he has given us his righteousness. It's the greatest exchange in human history, and it's all grace. See, sheep are made sheep. Sheep are inheriting their status as sheep. God makes us into sheep. As J.C. Ryle, the 19th century evangelical Anglican, says, he says, speaking of this passage, he says, our works unquestionably will not justify us. Our works will not make us sheep. We are justified by faith without works, but the truth of our faith will be tested in our lives. And then he quotes James 2 and says, faith which hath not works is dead. In other words, what God has done in our lives is he's made us into sheep. He's made us sheep. He's given us a new nature. 
It's an inheritance. It's a gift. It's not of your own doing. But now that we are sheep, the call is to live like sheep, to live into that new reality, to live as this new reality of what God has broken into our lives. I find it amazing if you look at verse 34 that the first word that Jesus speaks on that day of judgment over the sheep is the word come, come. He draws them to himself. Come, O blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. And what I love about that is that's the very first word back in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, when Jesus first meets these disciples. He's by the Sea of Galilee. He walks by and says, come, follow me. See, this is how sheep are made sheep. Because of the invitation of Jesus. Jesus says, come, and if we'll accept that invitation, he will make us sheep. It's an inheritance. That's the first thing we need to see. We are sheep. Living like sheep is about an inheritance. God has done this, not us. But also, being sheep, living like sheep, is immediate. And what I mean by that is it's right in front of us. This isn't rocket science. I I would even be so bold as to say this isn't even that hard. The call to live like a sheep is right in front of us because the least of these are right in front of us. Look at what verse 35 and 36 says. Listen to how close the proximity is and listen to how simple the response is. They're really not doing, these sheep have not done profound mountain-moving exercises. What does Jesus say? He says, I was hungry and you gave me food. Didn't solve poverty, you just gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. You didn't solve all the water crisis in the world. You, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. You didn't solve immigration challenges. You just welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. You didn't deal with all the socioeconomic brokenness of our world. You just clothed me. You, uh, you saw that I was, I was sick and you didn't cure me. You visited me. And I was in prison and you didn't liberate me. You came to me. You see, the picture of what Jesus lays before the sheep here is, as St. John Chrysostom says, is it is not about us having to do these remarkable, huge things. Rather, God being gracious requires only what is within our power or even what is less than in our power to do. These are simple actions of love and kindness and care. A sheep's work is often immediately right in front of us and immediately doable because the least of these are right there now. Mother Teresa was famous for saying, you can do no great things, only small things with great love. The challenge for sheep, if it's true that our sheepy calling, sheeply calling, is right around us, and it's not that difficult, it's not that profound, it's not that far away. Part of our job with that immediacy is to have eyes open to see, to actually be able to pay attention to the least of these that are around us, the moments and opportunities that are right in front of us, to pay attention to what God is doing in our hearts, to pay attention to how he's churning up our compassion. I was at a movie with my two oldest daughters uh, earlier this week, last week, we saw Wonder. Some of you have seen the film Wonder. 
It's a wonderful film. Um, it's not a tearjerker. It's a ball your eyes out film. Um, this is a story of a, of, a, of a boy who's got a severe facial deformity and is, is entering middle school and all the bullying and all the courage. And I mean, I'm literally sobbing my eyes out from the first line of the film all the way through. And it was ugly crying. I mean, at that point, two hours in your popcorn, like it's not pretty, but I said, it's okay, it's okay. It's dark. My kids have seen me cry lots. It's dark, it's a theater, I'll just get through this. The lights come up and what, it, what do I hear instantly when the lights come up at the end of the film? Hey, it's Father Paul. Hey, look, it's Father Paul over there. <laughs> Parishioners are in the pew, in the pew, in the seats next to us. And I am like dabbing my eyes with popcorn-soaked napkins. <laughs> but the point was, in that moment, and we have those moments, whether it's a film, whether it's more likely just interacting with people around us, where we have our emotions pulled, we have compassion rip us up on the inside. And that may be the language of the Holy Spirit saying, pay attention to this. The least of these are right in front of you. This is not rocket science. They're right around us. See, the immediacy of being a sheep, living like a sheep, is about asking the Lord to open our eyes that we can see and to be ready to be surprised because the least of these take on all different shapes and sizes. See, living like a sheep is not just about inheritance. It's, it's a state that's given to us. We're made sheep, this new nature. But it's also this immediacy. We, we need to see what's right in front of us as sheep. But finally, living like sheep is imitation. You see, sheep simply do what the shepherd shows them. Sheep simply do what they see the shepherd do. Isn't it a weird little moment when in verse 37 after the king commends them for feeding him and giving him drink and all these things, that they say in verse 37, they said, Lord, when did we see you hungry and give you food or thirsty and give you drink? When do we see you stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And at first you think they really didn't know. They didn't know they were actually serving the king when they did this. But as you look at the text and you look at the rest of the testimony of Scripture, you realize it's not ignorance. That's the language of humility. They knew exactly what they were doing. How could they not? Jesus tells them here and the whole of Scripture tells us what we're called to do and how God identifies with the least of these. It's not ignorance. It's the response of a humble servant that's simply saying, Lord, really? It's nothing. You're making it sound like it's a big deal, but it really was nothing. It was these small things, these simple things, small actions. This is not a big deal, Lord. See, they're humble. They're humble in their service. They're humble as they serve in sheep. And this is often sorely lacking within the life of the Christian, is humility. I mean, isn't it amazing how once God churns up something within us and we go and do a good deed, right? We, we serve the least of these. How immediately we want to tell everyone else. You know, there's just that desire 
to show it. You know, my parents were visiting this week. They were here for Thanksgiving. And I felt all week long, I had to like push down this desire to show off. Seriously, like my parents were, and maybe that says more about my family of origin, but it was like I wanted, do you see how big the church is? Do you see all the buildings, right? I mean, and I, and I kept having to push that back down because again, it's that desire within the life of the believer to, to actually say, look at what I've done. Rather than the humble response of saying, Lord, you know, whatever I'm doing in my life, it's by your grace. You made me this. You're doing the work. It's just, it, it's a small thing. I love the idea of pushing down humility. Um, there's a playwright named Stephen Dietz who uh, I was in a, a play that he wrote a number of years ago and uh, he was giving a public address to a number of us and he said um, that the way he fights as a playwright, and he's, he's like a well, you know, revered playwright, the way he fights ego and he, and he retains his humility is he says, I only frame the bad reviews. I read the good reviews and throw them away and the bad reviews get framed and put on my wall. They're just constantly standing there showing me. And he said, the best example is this. He wrote a play called More Fun Than Bowling. More Fun Than Bowling. And if you're a playwright or an author, you know that when you write this stuff, you've got to send your manuscripts to you know, tons of different publishers. And what you normally get back are all these form letters. Thank you so much, form letter. Thank you so much, not interested. And he said, this, for more fun than bowling, he said, one publisher didn't even send me the form letter in the rejection. They simply tore the front cover off the manuscript, grabbed a jiffy marker and wrote, thank you for more fun than bowling. It wasn't. (laughs) And he said, that is going on the wall. That's getting framed. That pushing down the humility in our lives. You see, the reason these sheep are so humble when the king tells them, you know, look how you've been serving me, and there's a humble response. Lord, it really, in comparison, is nothing, is because they know how much they have been served by the king himself. The reason they're humble in their responses is saying, listen, what we've done is nothing in comparison with what's been done for us. Remember that definition of the least of these, right? The hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, right? The sick and the imprisoned. And that was not an exhaustive list. Basically, it's pointing to those who are at the bottom, those who are in a rough spot, those who are below you, those who have nothing to offer you in return, those who are beaten down, those who are the losers. Is not that exactly who we were? when Jesus Christ found us in the gutter of our sin? Are we not before God the least of these? The ones at the very bottom. That the king of the universe came down and he served us. He came to us and ministered to us in our absolute need. And so as a result, our response of service is simply that of imitation. We have been shown this kind of service. We have been the least of these. We have been the losers. We have been the broken. And God has come to us and has served us by pouring out his very own blood, his life. This is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. I like in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, just such a wonderful reminder that can be spoken over the church. 
For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Before God, we are absolutely the least of these. That's where we were in the gutter. And Jesus, the king, came and served us. See, as we serve, then we're serving in imitation. We're serving in response. And in comparison with what has been poured out in our lives, what we offer is so small in comparison. So no wonder when the king says to you, wow, you were serving me, we say, Lord, it was just, it was nothing comparatively. It was just simple service. Look at what you've done for us. Imitation. You know, I know we were all horrified at the massacre in Egypt. 300 dead and so many of them children. It made me think back to the early church. Because you know, in Rome, there was very little regard for children. Unwanted children were simply exposed to the elements. If you didn't want a child, you'd literally expose them and they would die in the gutter. There's such a poor regard for children. But the early church, the Christians, as they began following Jesus, something emerged. These Christians began going out into the Roman world and they would rescue these exposed children. They would rescue them and they would adopt them as their own and they would raise them as their own. These children who were forgotten, who were thrown to the curb, had been now raised in Christian homes. And these, these Christian parents at some point would have to actually share the story, wouldn't they? At some point along the way, whether they're you know, 10 years old, 12 years old, 40 years old, who, when, when do you tell the kid, right? Let me tell you, here's why you don't look like your mom and me. You're not our biological child. We found you because someone threw you away. And we rescued you and we made you our own. You are our child now and you've got all the rights of that child. And imagine the child then saying to the parent, well, why? I mean, kids eat food and kids are expensive and that's a lot of work. Why would you do that? And the parents simply say, well, that was nothing in comparison to what God did for us when he found us in the gutter in Christ. God came as we were in the gutter and saved us and rescued us. And so it was such a small thing in comparison for us to rescue you. And as a friend of mine who loves to teach on this says, at that point, that child will never have to hear the gospel articulated again. Right there, it goes home for them. They've lived the gospel. I want to live more like sheep. Living like a sheep is about an inheritance. It's about God working this in you. you. If you're in Christ, you are a sheep. Like it or not, you've been made that way. It's your inheritance. But then living like a sheep is about immediacy. It's about opening our eyes, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Show us the least of these right around us and show us the opportunities, even in small ways to serve now. But not only is it about inheritance, not only is it about immediacy, it's about imitation. He has done it for us. We have seen what it means to be served. And so we do as our shepherd has done. We serve in imitation. I want to live more like a sheep. It was a terrible morning. 
The day before, I had been defrocked by my heretical bishop for standing up for the gospel. I'd been rejected by my warden's investory. I'd been locked out of the church and given three weeks to vacate the church house that Monica and I and the girls were living in. It was early morning the next day. I had my head in my hands, bowing under the weight of what had just happened. And there's a knock at the door, and I will never forget the magnitude of what happened next. I opened the door, and it was one of my parishioners holding a large cup of Tim Horton's coffee. And he said, I heard what happened. He said, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can't fix this. But I thought, I bet Father Paul would appreciate a cup of coffee and a friendly face. And he stood there on my porch for 15 minutes and we chatted. And he went away. And I cannot adequately explain how that simple visit ministered to me in probably my weakest moment. And the king will answer them as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren. You did it to me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.